In preparation for this sermon, I read a, uh, a book this week on temptation, and the author begins with a story, and I want to begin with that story, if I may. He tells a story about he's driving in a, with his family on vacation, and it, they enter a area of bad weather, and they decide to pull off and get a hotel and stay in the hotel for the night. And so the, the author goes into the hotel, up to the front desk, leaves his family in the car, and book, wants to book a room. And there's a lady there, a young lady, who addresses him like this, well, hey there. And her appearance and her, her speech reminded him of somebody that he had once known. She had dimples in her cheeks, he says, tossed her hair back, and was holding in her hand for a minute. And he says, I noticed all of that while she was checking me in. And then suddenly she called me by my first name. And he says, my heart skipped. How does she know my name? And then he realized that he had given it the credit card, so she had gotten the name off the credit card. Anyway, they talked a little bit back and forth while he's waiting for all that to take place. And she laughed at his little quips, he says, and... She teased him about his soaking wet hair because he had to run in from the rain. And he said, quote, I liked it. It was like I was in college again or maybe even in high school. And then he says, just then I heard a word that I never thought would terrify me, but it terrified me. He heard the word, daddy. And then I heard it again, daddy, look at me. And so I looked at him. A bead of sweat, he says, dripping from his forehead. And I realized, he says, I realized that I had completely forgotten that my family was waiting outside for me in the van. Now, he says, I hadn't done anything wrong, not even close. But for some reason, I paid attention to that woman. And worse, I hadn't noticed myself paying attention to her until my kids interrupted me. And he goes on to say, I was scared by what actually happened. I was scared not by what actually happened, but by the glimpse of what might have happened. What if I hadn't been on a road trip with my family? What if I had been all by myself? What if she had been interested in me? For just a moment, just a moment, I'd forgotten who I was, who I am. Servant of Christ, baptized into his body, the church, husband of my wife, daddy to my children, And I was struck by the thought. It starts like this, doesn't it? It starts as a series of innocent departures, gradually leading to something more and something more. And it scared me to think of how something like this could happen in such a natural kind of way. What if I wasn't just accidentally winding up there in that hotel lobby at exactly that point of exhaustion and needing to rest? What if... I was being led. Today we come to the last of the petitions in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is perhaps one of the more difficult of the petitions to understand. Much has been written about it. There's a couple of things that make it particularly difficult. One of of it being the fact that we're asking God not to lead us into temptation, The prayer sounds like God might otherwise do that very thing, 
Father, I know that you might lead me in the temptation. I pray, but not me. Of course, God does not lead us in the temptation. The Bible says that explicitly. James says it unequivocally. No doubt. No one would tempted should say, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot, cannot, cannot te- be tempted by evil. And he himself tempts no one. And so if God doesn't tempt us, why would we need to pray our Father, lead us not into temptation? What exactly are we praying for? And then the fact that we have to pray, but lead us, uh, not lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, part of the gospel is we have been delivered. We've been delivered out of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. Paul tells us he's convinced neither death nor Life, nor angels, nor demons, nor anything, nor any power can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Christ has ascended to God's right hand. He's ruler over every authority and every power, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And Jesus even prays in John 17 that we would be protected from the evil one. Jesus says, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. That's Jesus' prayer. We would expect that to be answered. So God doesn't tempt us. Jesus is praying God's protection for us. Why do we need to pray? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Another complication is just the whole relationship between testing and tempting. It's the same word often in the Bible. Sometimes it's pronounced, I should say, translated testing. Sometimes it's translated uh, temptation. There's a relationship between the two of them. God often tests in Scripture. You could just as easily translate this verse, lead us not into testing. Of course, God does test. Adam and Eve are tested in the garden. Israel's tested in the wilderness. Jesus is tested in the wilderness. James tells us that God tests us, so testing is a part of God's way with us. The hard part is that God sometimes tests us through temptation. That is, through the devil's temptations. And the classic example, of course, is Job or David and the census, or, of course, Jesus led into the, into the wilderness, we're told, to be tested. But he's led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, where, is he, where he is tempted by the devil. So the Spirit of God leads Jesus into the place where he would be tested by God, but that testing would come through the devil's temptation. So God's test and Satan's temptations are often held together. Now there's a goal. The goals are different, of course. The goal of tempting is unto evil. The goal of testing is that we might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But the point is, is that they are often brought together. And so again, the question is, what exactly are we doing when we pray in this petition? Our Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So I was thinking about this prayer, and what I always like to do is I like to place myself, try to place myself within the context of the scriptures, but also in the context of where Jesus is. In the context of the scriptures, of course, and where Jesus is, is As Matthew tells a story, he is baptized, he announces the kingdom, he is baptized, I should say, goes into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and then he gives the Sermon on the Mount. 
Now, there's probably some time between those things, but nevertheless, they're kind of connected or brought together, at least as Matthew puts it, puts it together. In any case, it's right after the temptation that we hear the sermon and we hear those words, lead us not into temptation. And Jesus tells us that no servant is above his master. We might argue, of course, that if Jesus is tempted by the devil, then we might expect the same thing for ourselves. It's different, of course, between him and us, but nevertheless... The background is important, I think, because it does tell us that to follow Jesus does bring us into a spiritual warfare. And we need help. We need help in fighting that battle. Satan is going to tempt us to turn away from Christ's kingdom. And so in thinking about temptation, it's good to think about some of the things that Jesus had is teaching us about the kingdom. For the prayer itself is given within the context of the Sermon on the Mount, which is about the kingdom. And Jesus says things like, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He teaches us about anger and lust and faithfulness in our marriages, keeping our words, letting our yes be yes and our no be no, loving our enemies. Not doing things to be seen by men, but doing them for God. Storing up treasures in heaven. Not being anxious. Judging justly. Doing unto others as we would have them do unto us. Seeking first the righteousness of God's kingdom. And here we can kind of understand Satan's tempting work. Or at least get a glimpse of it. Satan will tempt us into unbelief. Surely it's not the poor in spirit who are blessed. Certainly it's the rich and the powerful that are. We will be tempted to let our anger anger run its course, to break our vows, to use our lips and our tongues for deceitful purposes. Tempted to store up treasures on earth, not on heaven. Tempted to give in to the temptations rather than to resist them. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We will be tempted to do things that we might, in fact, be seen by men. And to judge unjustly. And then there's even in this prayer that Jesus gives us where we pray with him, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. There's really the temptation even to doubt those opening words. Our Father, is he really my Father? And is he good? Will he really do me good? The temptation to seek not his name, but our own name to want to protect our name and have our name hallowed. To seek not his kingdom, but our kingdom. Hallowed be our name. May our kingdoms come and our will be done on earth as I would like it. The temptation is to be self-reliant. Our Father in heaven, give us our day, our daily bread. To be utterly self-reliant. To be unforgiving. Forgive others as God in Christ has forgiven you, but... Not me. And ultimately to give in to evil. This helps us again to understand why we need that petition. Christ comes announcing the kingdom and promises the blessings of the kingdom and the riches of the kingdom. And he calls us to live according to God's kingdom and righteousness. And Satan is there right alongside the adversary of Christ and his kingdom and of Christ's kingdom people, the church. 
And he will do whatever he can do to lead us away from honoring God's name and turning us against the very good things God has called us to do, to find some reason or another why these things God has called us to are really not for us. His temptations are powerful. And he works against Christ and against you and I so that we might serve his kingdom rather than God's kingdom. One of the hard things about temptation is, I think, is even defining the word. You know, how do you even define it? Now, it's interesting, some of the things I read, they never define it, because everybody knows exactly what it is. It's one of those words you don't have to explain, right? But Jesus does say we are to pray, our Father who is in heaven, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. It can be translated either way. The evil one is the source of evil, so to be led away from evil in one way or another is to be led away from the, the evil one. Here's how somebody described a temptation. A temptation is a desire, attraction, or persuasion whereby we are provoked to sin against God in the transgression of some commandment. In other words, a temptation is something that leads us to want to break faith or trust in God and to do something that is contrary to his good will. As you know, Jesus was tempted but without sin, so temptations in and of themselves are not necessarily sinful, but they, they can lead to sin or lead us into sin. In any case, as I said, rather than wanting to hallow God's name, we're tempted to go against that or act contrary to, his, to honoring his name. Rather than seeking first his kingdom and righteousness, we're tempted again to seek our own And rather than submitting our wills to his will, we're tempted to follow our own wills instead. That's where Satan works. But Jesus talks about being led into temptation. And what does that mean? Well, again, somebody else described it like this. We are led or carried into temptation when some temptation possesses us, grabs hold of us, and leads us to the place wherein we sin. Or to put it differently, we desire the sin more than we desire righteousness. We desire the sin more than we desire righteousness. And so, for example, our minds conceive or our hearts take in thoughts that are against God, wherever they come from. Sometimes they arise from within. Sometimes they come from without. If we take in thoughts that are against God, the temptation is from without. If we conceive in our minds things to do things that are against God, the temptation comes from within. And if we don't check those temptations or turn away from them, at some point we will give in to them. Our desires turn evil, and the temptation ends in sin. James says this, no one would tempted should say I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted by his own desire, being lured and enticed by it. And then desire, when it is conceived, it gives birth to sin. Some years ago, there was a study done on livestock. How can you make cows happy and comfortable? And the whole thing was about productivity, of course. How can we get more meat out of our cows? 
And, and basically, the study said, you know, if, if, if you keep, if you do, if you just have a regular pattern, and, and, and uh, you know, don't do anything to startle them or upset them, uh, they'll just be, they'll be fine. They like what's familiar. And so, large farms, they, they developed that slaughter cows. They came up with a way to make it comfortable for cows to go to the slaughter. And here, here's how it's described. In this system, the cows are often, aren't prodded off the truck, but are led in silence onto a ramp. They go through a squeezed chute, a gentle pressure device that mimics a mother's nuzzling touch. The cattle continue down the ramp onto a smoothly curving path. There are no sudden turns. The cows experience the sensation of going home. <laughs> the same kind of way they've traveled so many times before. As they mosey along the path, they don't even notice when at a certain point their hooves are no longer touching the ground. A conveyor belt slowly lifts them gently upward, and then in the twinkling of an eye, a blunt instrument levels a surgical strike right between the eyes. We read from Proverbs 7 earlier, and there's a picture about temptation and how it works. And it ends with, With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with smooth talk. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter. Like a deer stepping into a noose. Till an arrow pierces his liver like a bird darting into a snare. Little knowing that it will cost him his life. Or like cattle. Sheep. Ox. Being taken in by temptation. Temptation is a kind of seduction. Like that story I read earlier. What if I've been led here? And it doesn't have to be a woman. Remember, Babylon, the city of man, is a whore. And much of what you read in Proverbs 7 could easily be translated to Babylon. She's a great seductress who leads us to the slaughter and we don't even notice. One of the things about this prayer, we individualize it, but it's to the church. These are all plural petitions. Lead us. Lead us, deliver us. Churches, as much as individuals, can be led into sin fall into temptation. The temptation, again, to do things according to our own wills and seek our own kingdoms and righteousness. When we become synagogues of Satan, Jesus described the church in Smyrna that way. He says, these are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. That is, the... the synagogue of Satan are the Jews who are attacking the church. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. You will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you, the life as, give, you your life, give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious, I will not be hurt at all by the second death. Today we live in very comfortable surroundings. 
When Matthew wrote his gospel, Jesus' crucifixion was probably maybe 30 years in the past. Already Stephen has been martyred. James had been martyred. The church in Jerusalem has suffered persecution. Nero is emperor, probably. I mention this because I think sometimes we fail to grasp the significance of being led into temptation. Remember what Jesus said to the sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Do good to those who would hurt you. That was the reality when Jesus was giving these words. Or I should say when Matthew was writing these words, but also what was going to transpire very quickly in the life of Jesus and the church around him. What might you be tempted to do if you were about to suffer for righteousness because of Jesus? Temptation unto apostasy is quite real, just as much as falling into evil is quite real. But Jesus wants us to stand, not be led into temptation, but to stand in the midst of it. Jesus says to the disciples, to the twelve in particular, You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. This is said to the apostles, but it's also said to us. We stand by Jesus in the trials that his body continues to face in this age, and we continue to face trials and temptations. Watch and pray, Jesus says, that you may not enter into temptation and fail to stand by him. Do you watch and pray? Do you pray, our Father, lead us. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me and deliver us from evil. So what exactly are we praying for when we pray this prayer? And the Heidelberg Catechism puts it this way. What is the sixth petition? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is, that is, in ourselves we are so weak that we cannot even stand for a moment. Moreover, our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh do not cease to attack us. Will you therefore uphold and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit so that in this spiritual war we may not go down to defeat but always firmly resist our enemies until we finally obtain the complete victory? I think that nicely summarizes it. What are we doing when we pray this prayer? First of all, we're acknowledging our weakness. We're in need of God. The Heidelberg says in ourselves we are so weak we can't even stand for a moment. We can do nothing apart from him. Apart from me, we can do nothing. You probably don't know this, but that it's a very strong word when we pray, our Father, deliver us from the evil one. It's the same word that's used of Jesus when he's hanging on the cross and those who are looking at him say, saying he trusts in God, let God deliver him now. So we're like Jesus on the cross in a sense. We're in a state of helplessness against evil and the evil one unless God should rescue us or redeem us or pull us out of it. Someone put it like this. The disciple does not pray that God will assist him in battling the evil one. It's not just that I need help, if you will, a little help. The disciple is so weak that they are a little match for the devil. What we need is a savior, not an assistant, a hero, not a helper. We need a champion who will fight the evil one for us and who will snatch us from the clutches of the enemy who only seeks to kill and to steal and to destroy. 
Remember the word of God says, if anyone think they stand, take heed lest you fall. There are temptations that are common to us, but apart from God, we cannot stand in them. We are poor and needy, always in need of God's grace in all things. Someone put it like this, the disciple is conscious of his weakness and does not expose himself unnecessarily to temptation in order to test the strength of his faith. Rather, Christians ask God to preserve them in the hour of temptation. Now, there are things that we do, of course, that put us in the, in the seat of temptation. And you probably know what those things are. We should not put God to the test. If there are things that tempt you, you should avoid them like the plague. Or as Jesus puts it, cut off your arm and gouge out your eye. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Are we conscious of our weaknesses? Do we pray our Father? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's one thing that is said in the petition. The second thing is that this petition acknowledges that we live in a world of temptation. It's not a safe world as it relates to faith and obedience. We've already looked at Ephesians chapter 6 last year, right? We're in a warfare, spiritual warfare. We live in a world that is corrupt and wants to corrupt. As the Heidelberg Catechism has it, we are constantly under attack. All, Satan is always looking for someone to devour. He's always looking to find some way to lead us away from the righteousness of the kingdom. And we'll probably be tempted exactly like Jesus was. Temptation common to man. Jesus is tempted in all things as we are, except for sin. We'll be tempted with consumption, self-determination, and self-glory. We want to feed ourselves. Somebody had pointed out that, that um, the serpent is a perfect description of, of the Satan because a serpent is one big stomach. And Satan magnifies our appetites, makes them absolute. My appetites must be satisfied. And of course, because we're, our appetites can never be satisfied in this age, they are never satisfied. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Not yet, though. And so we look for other things to fill us. Self-determination. Jump from the temple. The angels will take care of you. You decide your future. You decide how things are going to turn out. You twist God's hand. You make God serve you. And, of course, self-glory. Jesus being offered all the kingdoms of the world. And so instead of hallowing God's name, we will act as if our name is God. And we'll be tempted to protect ourselves, to hold on to our well-being as the greatest and most important, and to be protected above all else, that our, our desires need to be satisfied. We will exalt ourselves in order to make our own names great. I'm tempted to cast off the goodness of God and exchange it for evil. Then there's the third thing we are asking God to give us in his grace, to stand in the, 
as we stand in the face of temptation, what that is to say, we are asking God to give us his grace to stand in the face of temptation. That's the third thing we're asking for, his grace. The Heidelberg Catechism says this, Our Father, will you therefore uphold and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit so that in this spiritual war we, we may not go down to defeat, but always firmly resist our enemies until we have finally obtained complete victory. Now, to me, that, that answer is a little bit surprising because it's not exactly the petition Jesus gives, at least on the surface. Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In the prayer, we're asking God to do something for us. Lead us, deliver us. The prayer is focused on God's action on our behalf. But the Heidelberg's answer is more about something that takes place in us. Uphold and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we might not go down in spiritual defeat. Why this difference? Well, here's one way to answer that, and it is to say that God leads us away from temptation by working what is pleasing in himself, to himself, in us. What is pleasing to himself, in us. So by the grace of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, we're provided a way of escape. We're unable to resist the devil. Again, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And remember, we are called to stand, right? Stand. Now, as I thought about this prayer, I, I, it made a lot of sense to me that the petition, petitions ends, or the prayer ends with this one, lead us not a temptation, but deliver us from evil, or the evil one. Because if you think about it, it coordinates with the first part. In the first part, or the first three, we're praying, our Father's name be hallowed, his kingdom and glory and will be done. Now, think about this. You know, why do we pray this? Or I should say, how do we even pray that? How do we pray that? Now, to us, we raised it, we've heard it, everybody says it, even unbelievers say it. <laughs> and so we're not really maybe shocked by our ability to even utter these words. But they are, of course, words that are not possible to those who are held captive by Satan or who are dead in their sins. We can pray this prayer and only can pray this prayer because God lives in us. Flesh and blood does not teach us these things, but our Father in heaven. And how does he teach us? He teaches us through his Son. No one knows the Father but the Son, and no one knows the Son but the Father. No one knows the Father but the Son and those to whom the... And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And how does the Son reveal the Father to us? Well, through the Spirit. What we are praying for, in other words, the words that come out of our mouth are the deep things of God that are revealed to us by God and only by God. Think about what we're praying. Our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, how can you pray that at all? The only way that we can pray it is because we've been possessed by the grace of Christ. The only way we could pray it in truth is if our sins have actually been forgiven through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. Only by his reconciling worth can we even say, Our Father. 
we can pray, hallowed be his name, because and only because of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in us. We want his name to be hallowed. Our lips have been cleansed like Isaiah's, so that we can speak forth his praise. See, humanly speaking, this is an impossible prayer. And if you stop and think about it, in praying this prayer, we ourselves are taken up into the Holy of Holies, transferred, if you will, out of the kingdom of darkness, or proving that we're transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and have been brought into the kingdom of his beloved Son. And as we pray it, we are sanctified again and again. That's why this last petition makes so much sense to me. Because this last petition, it seems to me, takes us right back to the beginning. Lord... Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So that what? So that your name will be hallowed amongst us? So that your kingdom would be sought first among us? And we would say, not our will, O Lord, but your will? You see, as the first three are true in us, more and more are we not held in the grips of temptation. And more and more are we delivered from evil and the evil one. Now, let me be clear here. We will never be free from temptations. Uh, We will continue to suffer the assaults of Satan. Gates of hell will not prevail against the church, but they're trying. I do not mean that we will never give in to a temptation or fall. Paul writes, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who, are, who, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you too may also be tempted. So I'm not saying we won't be free from temptations or from the assaults of Satan. This is not a petition for trouble-free life. In fact, some argue that by virtue of who we are, the temptations increase. Somebody put it like this. Temptations are, are strong in our lives precisely. Temptation is so strong in our lives precisely because it is not about us. Temptation is an assault by the demonic powers on the rival empire of the Messiah. That's why conversion to Christ doesn't diminish the power of temptation as we often assume, but actually counterintuitively ratchets it up. If you bear the spirit of the one the powers rage against, they will seek to tear down the icon of the crucified they see embedded in you. We are under assault, and we shouldn't take it lightly. I don't know what you're involved in, but if you're involved in things again that are leading you towards the path of death, away from the kingdom of Christ... If you're tempted again and again and falling into sin, Christ is calling you to repentance. Satan wants to lead you into temptation and keep you there. Our Lord Christ wants to lead you out and keep you there. So I'm not saying we'll be be free from temptations or the assault of Satan, but I am saying that by the working of God's grace in us, weak though we are, by praying this prayer at all times in the Spirit, 
by the very grace of Christ and God's work, power of Christ that is working in us, we will be able to stand and more and more. Our Father, who is in heaven, is alive in us and working in us, not to lead us into temptation, but into his righteousness. Our Father, by Christ, who rules over all things, and by the power of the Spirit who is at work in us, has delivered us, is delivering us, and he will finally deliver us from the evil one. His kingdom will come and his will will be done. The, prom- the one who promised is faithful and he will surely do it. So to him belongs all glory, power, and riches, honor, and praise. Come Lord Jesus. Let, let us pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your holy word to us. We're thankful that we can open our lips and speak your praise, that we can together call you Father, even our Father, who is in heaven. Our desire, Lord, is that your name would be hallowed and hallowed in us and amongst us that your kingdom would most certainly come and your will would most certainly be done even now on earth in us as it most certainly will be and even is now in heaven. We're thankful that you are our Father who provides every good thing and that one day you will fill us even to the fullness of God in Christ. In the meantime, Lord, we are in a world of temptation. The temptation to turn away from the very good things that you command, to walk along the path to death instead of the path to life. And so, Lord, we do acknowledge that we are weak and we are needy and that apart from you, we can do nothing. And so, Lord, we do ask that you would hear our prayer and that you would answer it in accordance with your will, even as your son prayed, that we would not be led into temptation rather delivered from all evil and the evil one. For yours is the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.